You know, when we started the series in Ephesians, I challenged many of you to a 90-day experiment where you would stay in the Word um, every day for 90 days. Psychologists tell us that if you do something for 40 days, it becomes a habit. As we go through this passage of Scripture, I think you're going to be very much seeing why I was trying to persuade you to do that. As a spiritual leader, as the pastor of your church, as somebody who wants to guide you spiritually, I really want you to learn how to get in the Word on a regular basis. And this, today, you'll probably see more and more why that's so vital and extremely important. Because it's very easy to be led astray. It's very easy to be deceived. And by getting in the Word of God regularly, we keep that from happening. So I'm excited about many of you that have been doing that, at least struggling to try and do that, because it's highly, highly important. Now, many times people have reflected to me that they're, they're concerned about what's going on in their life and um, how uh, they've said a statement somewhat like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Whether it's an illness that they're facing or a diagnosis or a long-term illness or difficulty or a marriage that's in trouble or in tension or maybe even they've gone through a divorce or dealing with a troubled child or financial problems and the list is long. But if you're here today and you're wondering, well, how am I going to make it? Well, this sermon is for you. In fact, maybe you don't feel that way, but I'm telling you, someday you're going to feel that way. How am I going to make it? This question is to be at the forefront of your mind. Well, don't forget what Paul says to the Ephesian church. Remember, he had lived there a couple of years. He knew these people. So he ends with this thing. In fact, he starts with the word, finally. Like, okay, now here it is. You've got to catch this. And I'd like to pray with you before we even start that God would help you finally get a hold of this. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we bow our heads, humbly come before you, we recognize there's a lot of mystery in this world. A lot of things we just can't figure out. And I, I just pray for some light into our darkness, some insight into our confusion, some understanding about what we need to think or change or do differently. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would not be deceived. And today would be a time of enlightenment, a time of understanding, and a time when they really take a stand with the Lord. That's what I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but if I don't know what to do, if I'm wondering how I'm going to make it, I want to talk to somebody who does know. I want to talk to somebody who really has some insight. Well, we could look no place better, in my opinion, than right here in some of the writings by one of the greatest people I've ever read, the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know if you know who this man is, but when they talk about been there, done that, <laughs> this guy's been there, done that, as far as knowing how to deal with difficult situations, difficult people, difficult problems, physical problems. He's been there over and over and over and over again. And just in case you don't know, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul gives us just a little glimpse in just a couple of sentences about what he's faced in his past. You ready? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he's trying to tell some people some of the things he's gone through for them to understand the insight he has. He says, five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. 
39 lashes in the back of your back. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures or seen what that looks like. It's torture, and it rips open your back. They literally put blades on the whip. It would rip it open. If I had it happen once, I'd be bragging to everybody how I survived. Five times? Can you imagine? His back is like hamburger. It's, it's, there must be so much torn tissue and torn muscle. It must be constant pain for the rest of your life. Five times 39 lashes. That's only one thing he lists. Look at the next. Three times I was beaten with rods. Boy, that would bruise you, damage muscles, cause all kinds of pain. Once I was stoned in Lystra. They stoned him with so many stones they thought he was dead, so the crowd just left. He got back up, came to, God miraculously healed, and he goes back and starts preaching again. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea, that'd be scary enough, almost drowning, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Now, someone lists something like that, you, you and I don't feel a word, we don't feel a thing. Because we weren't there. Can you imagine all that he must have gone on? Mental torment, emotional torture, all kinds of things going on. And he says, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, his sense of leadership. Again, I don't know about you, but it, if I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to make it, I would sure like to listen to what this guy's got to say. I'd sure like to know how he made it, because the big question is, how'd the Apostle Paul make it? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I discovered the secret. What? You have a secret? Yeah, I have a secret of how I, I made it. And you want to know how you're going to make it? Here's the secret. A lot of what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 6 is Paul expressing that secret to these people. And many of the things he describes are things that we need to understand. Let me put it this way. If the Apostle Paul were here right now, I'm doing all this to prepare you for what we're going to read. I know he'd say four things to us. And the first thing would be this. My secret? You want to know my secret? Well, here's my secret. Number one, most of you are fighting the wrong fight. Yeah, you're fighting people. Paul knew people. Paul knew about being attacked by people, beaten by people, lashed by people, imprisoned by people, lied about people, betrayed by people. Oh, and you've had some problems with people? Probably pretty minor compared to Paul. But you think you need to fight people? It's going to take money? It's going to take lawyers? It's going to take what? Your problem is you're fighting the wrong fight. That would be his number one thing to you. I know it would be. Stop fighting people. That's not your big problem. People are a problem. Anybody could tell you that. Of course people are problems. I mean, aren't we all problems? <laughs> Ask your spouse. <laughs> right? People are problems, but it's not your worst one. And when you focus on that one, it's almost like a boxer that fakes you, he's going to swing one punch, but he hits you with another one you didn't expect. That's how enemies always work. They fake you out. That's the key to battle. That's how you win. And that's how the enemy, who's not stupid, is going to beat you. He's going to fake you out. Think you got it. Think you're fighting the wrong, right fight? You're not. You're fighting the wrong fight. That's number one thing Paul would say. Number two thing is, you're using the wrong weapons. You're using human weaponry. You're using your own intellect. 
You're using your own emotional skills. You're using your own ability to manipulate, your own ability. Stop it, he'd say. You're fighting the wrong fight with the wrong weapons. And then I know probably thirdly what he'd say is, you need to put together a whole new strategy. The strategy you're using is the wrong one. And he'd probably conclude, fourthly, number four, I put it down in what's called your big idea in the sermon, the strength you need is in the Lord. The problem is we often go from our own strength rather than the Lord's strength, and so we lose. Often turning to drink or, or, or drugs or, or, or just the sympathy of other people or trying to, to, to do something to, to win when really you're fighting the wrong fight with the wrong weaponry, and the problem is you really need to find your strength in the Lord. Okay, Paul, thanks for the advice. How do I do it? Say, so, well, let me show you. Point one. Take a stand in the Lord. Take a stand in the strength of his might, it says right here. We're going to read that in verses 10 and 11. Pick up the passage. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, reads like this. Finally after he said all these things about parenting and working with employees and dealing with your wife or your husband and all the other things he's talking about in chapter 5, walking in the Spirit, chapter 4, dealing with anger. He says, well, now finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What? He brings out the devil here. He says, be strong. But please listen. He's not saying be strong only. If Paul just said be strong, he'd be appealing to what? Your endurance? Uh, somehow you've got to muster up the strength? Be like the coach saying, come on, get up, get back in there. You can do that. And that's appealing to my pride? No, he doesn't say that. He says be strong in the Lord. Big, big difference between saying be strong and be strong in the Lord. You might be a total wimp. In fact, sometimes the best thing to do is admit, okay, I'm a wimp. I can't take it. All right, I need the Lord then, right? Stand in the Lord, he says. That's the next thing he says. He says, be strong in the Lord. And then what does he say? Stand. Stand firm. And as we read on, you're going to see this word reappear over and over again. Stand, stand, stand. When you're standing in yourself, you're going to probably go down. But when you're standing in the Lord, you're unbeatable. So what he's trying to tell the Ephesians here, finally, there's one thing you got to know. Stop fighting against people. Stop fighting with human warfare. And, and stand in the Lord. Take your stand in the Lord because your strength needs to come from the Lord, not from you, or you will lose. You need to learn to stand in the Lord. This, this is highly significant teaching. I think really important. It's not a shiftiness. There, there's no questioning. You're clearly taking a stand. Now, personally, I've, this last week especially prayed a lot, thought a lot, d didn't know quite how to emphasize this standing part because this is extremely important. If you will not take a stand, I seriously cannot help you. And in fact, he's saying here, the devil is probably going to have his way. Here's why. Did you see verse 12? Look at verse 12. Here's the reason, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present, present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I go, what? Well, no wonder I shouldn't fight against people because they're not my biggest problem, he's saying. No wonder I shouldn't, shouldn't just use human weaponry because that is nothing. That's nothing against these kind of forces. So what do I need to do? Well, that's what he just told you. Take a stand in the Lord. Your strength must come from the Lord. You're going to need to be able to stand in the Lord. And he's going to go on and tell us how to do that. But again, how can I emphasize enough that you need to stand in the Lord? And I thought, well, maybe I better tell you a story of something that happened in my past that makes this passage of Scripture one of the most important passages of Scripture for me in my whole life. It happened to me when I was about 22 or 23 years old. And I was learning how to stand in the Lord. I was a graduate from college already, and I was an intern pastor for one-year internship at a church. And the senior's pa- senior pastor's name was Ken Churchill. Very humble, gentle man. Not known for his great preaching or his great uh, discipleship of others, but really, really good at helping people personally, I guess, pastoral care skills, I guess you'd call it. Coming alongside hurting people, guiding people in the right direction, praying through things with people. And one night, he invited me to come to his office with some other leaders in the church, elders. This lady named Mrs. Hanson was a famous Bible study teacher. And, and, um, and, and, and Tim Aldridge, our assistant pastor, and he said, would you join us? Since you're an intern, I want you to see this and, and pray over this young gal. So this gal comes in who's probably about 18, 19, maybe 20, and a college student age, and she comes in, and we begin talking with her. And telling, she's telling us about these problems she's facing, which sounds psychological, but in some ways they're not. They're, like, weird. And all of a sudden, she throws herself on the floor and begins convulsing and screaming, grabs the lamp cord, and starts strangling herself. So two of the guys jump on the floor and pry her hands loose from choking herself to death right in front of us. And she's, she's, she's like screaming uh, curse words and yelling at us. And all of a sudden, different voices start coming out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about like a movie. This is like an t- unbelievable thing. It's like she's speaking different words to us with different personalities. There's like beings inside of her taking control of her. I know, this sounds bizarre. You probably, some of you are even skeptical, but I'm telling you, I was right there. I witnessed this. I'm seeing this. And the pastor starts conversing with these different demons, beings inside of her. Oh, well, we're not going to hurt her. Leave us alone. She's fine. Quit doing this. Stop, stop, stop. You know, we'd mentioned Jesus. They hated that. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. You need to leave her. Leave her alone. In Jesus' name, playing Jesus' name over here, others of us are just sitting there quietly praying. And all this is going on for hours. Finally, after the battle continued, she, 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 she seems set free. It's like they're gone. 
after all these arguments, all these things came to us and curses made upon us and all these different things screaming out through her. She, she comes to and she's like exhausted. She has no idea any of this took place and we start talking with her and praying with her again, helping her take a stand. Trying to find out if there's areas of her life that she's made open to such attack, things she's done to not stand. And I realized there how absolutely significant this passage of Scripture is and how absolutely significant it is that a person take a stand. Because when you won't take a stand, you won't stand in the Lord, you won't believe in the Lord, you won't trust in the Lord, you're open to anything. I mean, some weird and bizarre stuff. And who knows what thoughts may come into your head and what feelings may come into your emotions or all the different things that happen. And my whole life view changed. All of a sudden, like, I knew the stories of Jesus casting out demons in the Gospels, and, and I had read this passage many times and even studied it before, and all of a sudden now it started making sense like I'd never had before, like, we don't fight against flesh and blood. If I'm just thinking it's about Bill and Mary or something like that, like, I am very deceived. There's a lot more going on here than people problems or conflicts or anger issues or whatever you want to call it, or even psychological problems. And even then, learned later when I started befriending a guy who was a psychiatrist who had a professor down in Dallas, I realized, yeah, even they're mystified by some of the stuff that happened. One time, I'm in a, in a class in a psych ward of a hospital, Richardson General Hospital in Dallas, Texas, and one of the nurses is telling me, oh yeah, stuff happens around here you can't explain psychologically. Yeah, there is. Do you understand you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. We believe in this stuff. Oh, not all of it. There's some phony hocus-pocus stuff you'll see on TV and stuff. I'm talking about the real spiritual dimension. There are such things. There is a reality. The Bible's referring to it here. And so Paul says, well, finally, are you aware that it's not just people you fight? Are you aware that your arguments, your ideas, your mentality, your personality, your intelligence is not enough to win? Are you aware you need to be strong in the Lord and you need to take a stand? Uh, years later, after I was married and uh, went to seminary, uh, started this church, in 1991, for example, Lori and I flew to Indonesia, which is the other side of the world, over by Australia, a bunch of islands, and there was a lot of alliance missionaries working there, so they flew a whole bunch of us alliance pastors over there. I mean, you know, probably 15, 20 of us. And we went on a tour through a different place. Well, one of the tours, you know, Indonesia is all Muslim. And we were seeing all kinds of converts that had come to Christ. But when we went to a place called Bali, which was not Muslim, it's Hindu. And I don't know if you know the difference, but Hindus are what they call animists. They believe that there is a world like this, but they don't know about Jesus. They believe there's evil spirits and you have to appease the spirits. So like in everybody's backyard was this little thing they had built up and they're burning incense. They have altars. And you have to do all these fancy things to kind of like appease the spirits or they're going to get you. So they're like the other world from us. We're like totally materialistic types who don't we think we're enlightened and we don't believe in such things. Just primitive people do. They're on the other side of the spectrum believing well, this is all over the place. Spirits control everything. Truth's in the middle there. Well, one of the things in Bali that the tour guide wanted us to see was a thing called a barong dance. 
a barong dance was something in their culture to celebrate this spiritual fight and to, to show it in visual form. So there's people dressed up like dragons, there's people dressed up to spear the dragons and all this kind of stuff, and it's, it's a visual aid of a war, a barong dance. And they're fighting each other, and there's this thing going on, they're jumping over, it's pretty fun to see, very colorful. And so he asked the tour guide, yeah, okay, but what does it mean? He says, well, here's what it means. It means good and evil, always fighting, never ending. And so then the guy asked me again, what does it mean? He says, well, it means good and evil, always fighting, never ending. That was his broken English. I'm like, okay, I can get it. Good and evil, always fighting. But I don't agree with that last part, never ending wait a minute, I've read the end of the Bible, haven't you? It ends. Jesus ends it all. He comes again, right? Doesn't the cross end it? Didn't that girl in that room that I saw the demons cast out of it, wasn't it ended? Yeah, it can end. It will end someday when Christ comes again, brings peace to the whole world, the devil's thrown into hell. Yeah, it'll end. So to say never ending, of course, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's about all you can conclude. Got to appease the spirits. But I believe it ends finally someday, and it can end right now for you. It could end today for you. It's all a matter of where you take your stand. It's all a matter of where your strength comes from, the Lord or you. That's when I saw a demon-possessed person, the barong dance, things, and I could tell you many more stories. I've realized over and over and over again, it's all based on getting your strength from the Lord by taking your stand in the Lord. And I don't know what I would have to do up here. I don't know what I would have to say to convince you of that. But when there's sin in your life, you allow yourself to be carried away by dishonesty and and, and lack of truth. You'll see. Because right here, Paul like stops and says, okay, I'm sure you're thinking, logical question, well, how? How do I take a stand? He says, well, let me tell you, point two. Put on the armor of God. You ready? Verse 13 through 17. He says, therefore, in other words, in conclusion, what I'm trying to say, since there's principalities, powers, and authorities, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Told you that word stand keeps being said again and again. Stand, therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's almost as though Paul is sitting there, either chained to or outside the door of his cell. He's writing this from a prison. There's a Roman guard. And he says, well, as a visual aid, you know, I love visual aids. Let me describe it in military terms. Like here's this soldier all dressed up, his helmet, his shield, his, his breastplate, the whole thing. And he says, they all like represent different things. When you ask me, how am I going to take a stand? Well, here it is, right here in a visual aid. So he uses that force. Let me describe it now. He calls, first of all, the belt of truth. 
When a person will take on truth and not live in a lie, not live in deception, not live in a fantasy, but not using your own ingenuity or fighting for your own pride or your own self-respect or your own self-defense, because when you do those things, you're playing in the devil's playground. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be deceived. But when you'll finally say, no, I want nothing but the truth, you have a chance to stand firm breastplate of righteousness. We're imputed righteousness. Now, I don't have time to explain the whole theological truth that when Jesus cried, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think, how Jesus took our place on the cross and made us look righteous in God's eyes. That's called imputed righteousness. So now he's saying, you're righteous in God's eyes. Live out that righteousness, doing what's right. And he finally, then he says the next thing, which is about the shoes. He says, your shoes, you know, shod or put on with the, the, the gospel being prepared. Now, why do you put your shoes on? Because you're going out. You don't put your shoes on to stay home. You put your shoes on to go out. So you're putting your shoes on to go somewhere on mission. When you're, when you're shodding your feet or putting your, your shoes on for the preparation of the gospel, it's trying to say, stay on mission. It's when a Christian gets off mission and forgets, I'm, I'm, I'm here for me. I'm here to just do what I want. He says, that's when they get in trouble. He says, you got to stay on mission of what the Lord's calling you to do, hearing God's call and following like we talk about here. That's significant. In fact, it's interesting. In, in light of that, when I think about the mission, and I think about this uh, breastplate of righteousness, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, uh, an article I read a while back, and it was quoting this old psychiatrist I heard about years ago. His name was uh, Carl Menninger. I don't know if you remember, but Carl Menninger wrote a book years ago, back in the 1970s, it was uh, Whatever Happened to Sin, I think was the title of it. Remember that? It was like everybody couldn't believe it. This psychiatrist writes about sin. You know, I thought we gave up on sin a long time ago in the secular world. And so he shocked everybody. And it was an interview done uh, by, um, I believe it was a TV station, asking Carl Menninger what he would do if he was trying to counsel somebody who was feeling like a nervous breakdown is coming on. That's what they used to call it when you have psychological problems or entering into depression or you feel like, you can't, how am I going to make it? I'm going to go over the edge. I'm going to go crazy, you know? Here's what Carl Menninger said. Dr. Carl Menninger said, well, if I felt a nervous breakdown coming on, I would go home, and I would lock up the house, and I'd go down across the tracks and find somebody I could help. What? He says, yeah, part of the problem is we get so belly button focused, so inward into ourselves and what we're, it drives us crazy. It, it's just what Paul's saying here. Stay on the mission. Life's not all about you. Life's about the Lord and the mission he's called you to be on. When you stay on that, it's when you're taking a stand in him. It's when you're putting your faith and trust in him. Then he goes on to say this. So, first of all, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel. He mentions the shield of faith. The shield that the Roman soldiers used was not a round little shield. It was a big oblong shield you could literally hide behind. It was made of two layers of wood with leather wrapped around the outside. So when an arrow, like he calls a flaming dart, would come at it, it would hit that outside layer, go through it to the second layer, and the outside layer wrapped in leather would literally squelch the fire. 
And he's thinking of that because he's seen it in battle. And he's going, just like the arrows get shot at the Roman soldier, he gets put out by those two-layer shield. In the same way, when you trust the Lord, all the attacks Satan throws at you, all the belittlement, all the betrayal, all the abuse, all the things that come at you, they get put out because you're standing in the Lord. That's how you take your stand. It's as though Paul's saying. Then he says, the helmet of salvation. I think this is really cool. Um, because if you're saved, you've put your faith and trust in Christ alone as your Savior, you're going to heaven. You'll be here when Jesus comes again, or he'll bring you with him if you're already gone to heaven. It's like a soldier being in battle, but he already knows he won. Well, there's no tension, there's no stress. You already won. You can't lose. So, of course, you would stand in the Lord. He says, because you can't lose. You got the helmet of salvation. And then lastly, what does he say? The Word of God, right? You got the sword of the Lord, the Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, which I had a psychiatrist show me this one time. He says, how do I know something's a soulish or psychological problem or something's a spirit or spiritual problem? He says, honestly, I don't know sometimes. He says, but God does. The Word of God does. Of joints and of marrow. Again, they, they understood all that? Not really. But they're writing about it because they know God does something. God knows some things. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, nobody knows that but God. He's trying to point out that the Word of God, the Bible that you and I hold in our hands right now, can tell us things that are total mysteries. And everything we've been talking about and everything he's talking about in this passage is highly mystical, right? Highly mysterious. And if you're waiting for your brain to figure it out, good luck. I don't think it's going to work. I remember when I was 22, 23, and I went to that experience where that demons were cast out of that gal. I was living with my folks, and I went home that night at about 1 in the morning. And, you know, went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth, everything, go in bed. I'm afraid to turn the lights out. What happened? My whole worldview had been changed. I'd read about it, like knew it. Now I was experiencing it. I'm like, wait a minute here. What in the world? Though, though it's like the entire world had changed around me because I was starting to understand reality. There are spiritual forces at work in this room right now. Guaranteed. Bible says. It's happening in ways far beyond our comprehension. It's a mystery. And the Bible's declaring here, wake up. Wake up. There's a mystery. There's things that you should be fighting against you're not even trying against. There's, there's a stand you're, you've been wobbly about or shaky about that you need to stand firm in. And God uses this description here. Now, we went through all the things, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shot with preparation of the gospel, you know, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Lord, right? all that stuff. What happens to a lot of people when they study this passage is they get so fascinated by all these different descriptions, they miss the point. The whole point is what? Just like a Roman soldier's got all of his stuff on, so he's what? Ready. He's war ready. 
And that's the point that Paul's trying to make. Are you ready? Do you live ready? This is what you need to do to stand in the Lord. Use your faith. Use the word. Use the salvation he gave you. Use the gospel to share with others. That's how you stay standing in the Lord. And you're ready. Because uh, one preacher even says, we live in a war. We live in wartime, but we don't have a wartime mentality. That's not to say nothing should be fun or that you shouldn't relax. Of course you should. But you can really only do that when you're taking your stand firmly in the truth, firmly in the Lord, trusting him with the shield, digging into the word. It's in the body of Christ. The fellowship of the believers protect us from that. When we're in a small group and you can share and you can talk and you can pray. And after all this description, what does he say? Oh, my goodness. You have one weapon you must use all the time. What is it? What is it? Here's my secret I want to tell you about. It's prayer. Look at the next one. Point three, always use the weapon of prayer. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you notice the repetition of the word all, 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 all? We better get the idea there that this is going to be an all-inclusive thing in your life. And he's saying, this is what you need to do with prayer. Use it all the time. Constantly, intensely, and unselfishly. Even praying for others, not just yourself. Because sometimes, just like Menninger said, the problem is we get too focused on ourselves. Let's read the next few verses. Look, starting with verse 19. And also for me, I want you to pray. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There's that word mystery. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, that's the guy carrying this letter to them. Tychicus, the, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Isn't that amazing? He starts out with these words, be strong in the Lord, and he ends with prayer by saying, God's love is incorruptible. Again, if, I wanna, if I've got the question, how in the world am I going to make it now? He, he, here's a guy that went through a lot worse stuff than you, and he said, well, here's the secret. It's in the Lord. Take a stand in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God and pray. You'll be fine. I just see this as extremely powerful. Not just because it's written by Paul, but the Holy Spirit's like saying, here it is. This is how you're going to make it. Why are you worried? Why are you upset? Why are you ready to have a nervous breakdown? You don't need to. You've got the Lord. Use him. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Very powerful. This passage of Scripture, because of some of those experiences I mentioned to you, uh, it was life-changing to me. Oh, there's another one I didn't mention. 
Back in the era when I was just that intern pastor at that church, it was a highly instructive time, this pastor who I was telling you about, Ken Churchill, was really troubled because now, after this girl got set free, other people were hearing about it and sending people to Pastor Churchill, people that had been in witchcraft, people who had been in Satan worship, all kinds of weird stuff, people that were entangled in all kinds of immorality and crazy things, and Ken was trying to figure out, what am I going to do? So he reads this book written by a guy who was a Baptist minister out in Oregon, I think it was, or Washington State, on the west coast of America. And in, in, this, in this book, he, I talked with spirits. This man, Dr. Victor Ernst, was sharing about his encounters with people that are demon-possessed and all these different kinds of things in this world of authorities and principalities and powers and all this stuff. Here's the odd thing. Victor Ernst, for 20 years of his life, was a medium in St. Hans's. You know the guy that hears Uncle Ralph speak to him, tells you what Uncle Ralph said, or, or here's what your grandmother or your great-grandmother said, ba 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 boom He literally was a medium in seances. And he really believed he heard these relatives from the past speaking to him, so he'd tell people. He saw little, little miracles happen, all kinds of crazy things. But then through a series of circumstances, I don't have time to explain here, Victor Ernst became a Christian, denied all that, and left it. So now he was being asked, what in the world was going on there? Did you actually hear their ancestors speaking? He says, no, I don't think so. I think I heard these rulers, authorities, demons, whatever you want to call them, who knew Uncle Ralph or knew their grandmother telling me things to convince them of these lies. Really? So Victor Ernst came to our church. My pastor said, I'm bringing this guy out here. He's going to talk to us. He's going to help us through these difficult times. And he did. It was unbelievable. I mean, I was spellbound listening to this guy. And he was nothing flashy. He's not like some of these quacks you see on TV. He was humble. He was gentle. Who's saying, well, I, I don't even like to do this stuff, but I've, I feel like I must because I lived in that world. And I believe there are demons out there. I know because I've seen them, and I've seen them activated, and I've helped people get set free. And more than anything, when I walked away from hearing Victor Ernst and reading his book, I was more convinced than ever what Paul concludes with be strong in the Lord, and then he ends with what? Pray like crazy. Because you'll never figure it out. I've talked with so many people trying so hard to figure it out. And you don't want to tell them they're stupid, but guess what? You're never going to figure it out. Never. Never. And especially when you're looking at all the people. Why did she do that? Why did he say that? I don't understand. Why did God let this happen? You're never going to figure it out. You don't think Paul asks those questions when he's laying on the ground bleeding to death? Why did God let this happen to me? You think maybe the fifth time he was being whipped, he was going, God, I'm getting kind of tired of this. You're like, what are you doing? Of course he did. And that man says what? Take your stand and don't move. Stand in the Lord. 
Put your faith in the Lord. Don't believe lies. Don't let lies live in your heart. Don't say you're following the Lord, but then have this addiction or this thing you're doing. The devil's got you then. And when you take your stand, put on the full armor of God. Stay in the Word. Stay in the fellowship of the believers. Keep talking and staying on mission. Listen, God gave you a gift. Use it. And then pray. Pray like crazy because it's the major weapon you have. It's... It, it's the only way you're going to be able to keep going. And that's why I, why I started the sermon with, how am I going to make it? Like, yeah, well, here's how. Paul said, it's a little secret I learned. You can learn it too. Did, I hope you just did. So I thought the best place to end the service is what? We better pray. In fact, why don't we stand and pray? So stand with me. Bow your head in all humility and the first place to start. Jesus said, excuse me, John said about Jesus, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The girl who was demon-possessed had to confess sins or those demons would be right back. Your problem your difficulty, you have to confess, Lord, I've counted too much on me. Lord, I'm, I, I, this, this addiction, this problem in my life, I've got to confess and get rid of it. I've got to stop. Lord, cry out to him, and Lord, I pray you'll forgive everyone here who's confessing in their heart. And I pray that they will hear your word strong enough to say, well, then now I'm changing my strategy. I'm not going to fight the wrong fight anymore the wrong way. I'm now going to fight in the Lord, to stay in the Lord, to put my faith in the Lord, to trust the truth of the Lord, and to dig into the Word of God, for it's my only salvation. Maybe it's a psychological problem. Maybe it's a spiritual problem. I'm not sure you're ever going to figure out all those problems, but you don't have to. He already did. He has a plan. Trust him. And lastly, Lord, we come to you recognizing that we slip out of our armor sometimes. We think, oh, we, we, we don't have to carry this all around. And we open ourselves up to evil so easily. Help us keep praying. And in that way, let your spirit keep talking touching our tender conscience, teaching us what we need to know, giving us that wisdom. And as we move on in our series of study wisdom, help us have the wisdom, Lord, that only you can give to keep us walking in the light and away from the darkness. I pray no one here, Lord, will be led astray, nor, nor scared, but just say, I can stand the Lord, and I'll be safe, and I'll have the joy of the Lord in my life. So, we now take that stand in the Lord, putting on the full armor of God. In other words, I'm going to stand ready, ready for battle. Because the, the fight is the Lord's, and you're going to win it through me. And I'm going to keep talking to you. So key. Lord, help my prayer life. Help us pray, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones in our church. Help us seek you in all the things we challenge, are challenged with at work or in our finances or with bad habits to pray and never give up until you return again, Lord, to take us to heaven in total 
righteousness and safety with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. See you next week.